Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This podcast explores all the things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, three years ago, or yesterday. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. You can also find me on Instagram at Love Letters and Mixtapes or send me an email at loveLettersAndMixtapes at gmail.com. This week, I wanted to discuss scapegoating. I am sure that every single person listening has had some kind of experience, either as the scapegoat or the person who is scapegoating someone else. You've either been the victim or the perpetrator, or probably even both at some point. The scapegoat is the individual or the group who often does nothing to earn their role within the system's dysfunction. The scapegoat suffers misplaced blame for the behaviors of others in the system. And the reason I thought that this was so important to discuss today is because we very rarely unpack this topic unless we're in a moment of crisis. So we never really think about it unless we find ourselves being blamed and bullied and ostracized and othered in some critical situation. But when we slowly unpack these topics and mull them over and bring some awareness to them, we can add tools to our emotional toolkit. So in those crisis moments, we can reach for resilience versus reactivity. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now in my definition, I use the word system. The system can be anything. It can be your romantic partnership. It can be your family of origin. It could be your friendship group. It could be your workplace. It could be society at large. Scapegoating can happen in any environment, but I think the ones that we most often see it happening are in our families and in workplaces, and probably because the stakes are so high in those situations. Very often on this podcast, we talk about what it was like growing up in a home where you were not allowed to be the age you were, whether that was due to substance abuse or some type of behavior that impacted the whole family. And many of us have had the experience where even though we were the child in the situation, we were the ones who carried the blame. We were the ones who were selected to atone for the misdoings, the mistakes, the hurt, the poor judgment of others around us. And because we did not have the emotional tools at the time, nor did we have the perspective that comes with maturity, 
we had to process those feelings in that really distorted way. And we carried the blame of being the scapegoat. Maybe we were being unfairly blamed for conflict in the home. Maybe we received all the negative emotions that everyone was trying to process because it felt really safe to project them on us. Maybe we were shouldering the blame for issues that were far beyond our control. Now as kids, what do we do with that? We have no way to process that. Some of us become very grandiose, and as a way to survive that situation, we beat ourselves up because it almost feels safer to blame ourselves, to agree with everyone around us than it is to look around and say, oh, I'm not safe here. These people aren't taking care of me. I may not survive this. So instead, we blame ourselves and we bully ourselves and we begin to think, if I was just better, smarter, faster, kinder, if I could just play mental chess all the time, be hypervigilant, interpret everyone's feelings before they even walk in the door, everything would be okay. Some of us become the scapegoat at work. And what does that look like? That looks like becoming the unwilling alchemizer for everyone else's failures, everyone else's insecurity, everyone else's mistakes, everyone else's uncertainty. I always like to look at these things as a human experience versus who's good, who's bad, who's right, who's wrong. These things happen. And so by speaking about it, we are bringing that awareness so that the next time it happens, maybe it doesn't knock us off our feet. I often think of the scapegoat as the bringer of change. The scapegoat is the one who organically introduces transformation, evolution, and growth. And what they also do, unwillingly, unknowingly, is shine a light on the fact that the system is not prepared for that. The system is not ready. The system can't go along with that or is missing something essential. And what does that lead to? That leads to intense resistance. It leads to othering. It leads to gossip and triangulation. It leads to ostracizing and bullying. The scapegoat becomes the undiagnosed patient that everyone begins to focus on. They become a way for others who have not come together in wellness and strength to find a way to come together in negativity, in bullying, and in complaining. By coming together to pick apart, break down, and blame the scapegoat, the group does not have to self-reflect. They do not have to take a personal accounting and say, why does this bother me so much? What is this bringing up? What is this showing me that I haven't done or what I don't have? And what is it revealing to me about my reactivity? And reactivity is a really important word in this situation because very often the reactivity towards the scapegoat is a rebellion against the natural forward motion that the scapegoat introduces by just being themselves. And so this bullying that happens in the group is a bid to take their power back, even if that power was lacking. And it's really interesting to me because when you look at a situation where someone is being scapegoated, so rarely have they 
actually done anything wrong. They have actually not caused harm. What they have caused is discomfort. They have caused awareness. They have caused growth. And instead of the group sitting in that discomfort, that growth, or that curiosity about what is possible, they assume that something is wrong with the scapegoat. The scapegoat must be the problem. And if there's a problem, it means something is wrong. And if something is wrong, then someone must be right. And this plague of rightness is what prevents long-term vision. When you are busy scapegoating, you can't plan strategically. You can't think about the future. You're not focused on growth or how to do the next right thing. So if what I've just shared stings a little bit and you're wondering, am I relating to the scapegoat or am I scapegoating others? I'm going to encourage you to think about your answers to the following questions. What is your relationship with blame, with taking blame, and with blaming others? What is your relationship with curiosity? Do you often allow yourself to be curious about the possibilities? Are you curious about what you could have done or what you want to do? Or are you more focused on rightness? What is your relationship with personal inventories or self-accounting practices? What is your relationship with discomfort? How do you approach discomfort? Do you push against it? Do you embrace it? Do you lean into it? What do you do in those situations? The scapegoat brings up discomfort that the group is unwilling to sit with. And I often share on this podcast that discomfort is not pain. Discomfort is not harm. Discomfort will not kill you. So your relationship to discomfort is really important because you can have a very distorted perspective that damages someone else, damages their reputation, and your mind can tell you, I'm keeping you safe from harm. But all it is, is preventing you from growth, from evolution, from transformation, because that is very often what discomfort brings. Now, I never want anyone who listens to this podcast, no matter what topic we're discussing, to beat themselves up. I don't think we learn anything from that. Every time we talk about something, it's an invitation to get closer to it, to unpack it, to see where it shows up in your life, to see where it brings up some pain, some discomfort, some curiosity. So as we're talking about scapegoating, we have to introduce some humanity to it. Because it's probably really normal to attempt to recreate the social systems and dynamics that we are most familiar with. Maybe you grew up in a family where blame was your first language. That was your survival skill. That is what you used to avoid consequences. And I think a lot of people listening are probably very familiar with that. And it's not that it was wrong to do it in those situations. We probably used the tools we had available to us. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because if we are not evolving, if we are not moving through our lives and adapting and taking on more mature emotional tools, we're doing a disservice to ourselves and we're harming others. So yeah, 
I think it's probably really normal to recreate those dynamics. If we grew up in that home where it was either you or me, it was kill or be killed, and we didn't know anything else, and we thought that our way out of it was to blame someone else, to build a case about someone else, to gather evidence on this person, to deflect blame, to preserve our safety, it's really hard to shake that when we're adults and we're out there in the world. And we can find ourselves doing that in work environments too, and we can think there's no harm in it. I'm not actually hurting someone. I'm just spreading gossip. I'm just saying how I feel. I'm just getting others to gather and agree with me about this other person because they've made me uncomfortable. And it can make sense at the time, and we can still be doing a lot of harm. And instead of the scapegoat being the one who is actually harming you, the scapegoat is just the person that you're deflecting on. So now I want you to pause and think about a time in your life when you've been that person. You've been the one finger pointing. You've been the one gathering evidence. You've been the one spreading gossip and creating a group dynamic where everyone feels really comfortable bullying this other person. And I want you to think about that. What was this other person bringing up in you? Was it just because they were unfamiliar and you were uncomfortable? Maybe you were uncertain about your methods and felt like you couldn't measure up? Were you transferring your panic? That's something I see a lot in these dynamics where someone is under stress or they're becoming very self-conscious and they begin to purge that on someone else who is not responsible for the panic but they seem like they could carry the burden, right? And by transferring your panic to them, you get to falsely maintain an image of power and calm. But when we really think about this, it's pretty strange to ask another person to adjust their behavior, not because they're harming us, but because what they're doing is new or unfamiliar and we're uncertain and it makes us self-conscious. It's pretty unreasonable, and I actually referenced that in some recent episodes. I read a piece by Melody Beattie called Property Lines, and I'm going to recommend it again if no one read it, but it applies to this topic as well, because when we begin to self-reflect on when we are scapegoating others, we realize that we're placing some pretty high demands on another person. We're placing our power and our comfort level on them. And then we're immediately trying to yank it back and saying, you have to do what I want you to do so that I can be more comfortable because I am not working on my own resilience in this situation. I am not working on radical responsibility. I am not checking in with myself. I'm putting all of that on you. You have all of the power and you have all of the blame. And it's important to think about why we do this because I don't think people are walking around just recklessly being evil. We are trying to navigate our discomfort and we're mimicking what we have seen play out before us. And I actually think bullying is very socially acceptable. I don't happen to like it, but I know that it happens very often, which is why we're exploring it. But what's at the root cause? Because if we just leave it as, oh, that person's a terrible person, we bring no awareness to it. So let's go a little bit deeper. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think that there's a few key things that come up with scapegoating. One of them is envy and wanting to destroy someone because you're upset that this person has a certain quality, maybe a skill, an advantage, or influence, and you desperately want to level the playing field. You don't want to bring awareness to what you lack. Maybe you feel threatened. And maybe you are not completely comfortable with who you are at your core. And you see this person as a mirror and as competition instead of a person. And you have this overwhelming urge to discredit them as a bid to take your power back. Maybe you fear a loss of control over group dynamics. I see this happen all the time. Because scapegoating is a great way to use intimidation of this other person as an example of what could happen to anyone else if they fall out of line. And so instead of having to act out with five people, you can act out and center everything on one person. And everyone else is going to learn a lesson not to mess with you because you see what happened to this guy, it could happen to you too. As I mentioned earlier, I think that unresolved past issues really impact the scapegoat and scapegoating dynamic. And we don't always look at what was modeled for us as an unresolved issue, right? For some of us listening right now, hearing me say that, you can be like, I didn't think that that was an issue. I just thought that that was mom and dad. That was just how I grew up. That's just what I learned. But maybe this person in front of you reminds you of someone else. They bring up something within you and you unconsciously decide to work out that past relationship, those past power dynamics, those past wounds with this current person. And that's where the awareness is really important. If I never check in with myself, if I never explore what's underneath my first thought, my first feeling, my first emotion, my first action, my first reaction, if I never check in with myself. I can never get to that place where I can take accountability and say, oh, this isn't about you. This is about how I feel about my dad. This is about how I feel about my sister. This is how I feel about my ex-husband. And that's really important because other people do not deserve to carry the burden of our lack of awareness. I think that a scapegoat is also a great distraction from a bigger issue, from a deeper issue that requires more effort to fix. Because if there is a serious problem and we don't want to face it and we don't want to do the work of fixing it, how convenient is it that everyone can focus on disliking this other person? They can focus on that instead of what's actually happening. Instead of focusing on what we could actually bring to a situation to course correct. And again, it's a way to separate ourselves from our discomfort. I think it's also really important to note that some systems are structured that they can only function if there is the scapegoat villain role. And it is a game of musical chairs. 
someone always ends up in that role. And that is the only way the system can continue. Because it's almost like cleaning a wound, right? You can just slap a band-aid on it or you can actually clean the wound, get to the heart of the infection and allow something to heal. Well, that's pretty uncomfortable, right? And it's very similar in these systems. Instead of actually taking personal accountability and reflecting on what everyone's bringing to the situation or not bringing, it's a lot easier to say, oh, it's probably that one person. That one person is at fault. Look at them. And if we're always focused on them, we never have to focus on us. And if the group can't come together in wellness, like I mentioned before, they will come together in illness. Now, we've spent some time talking about the scapegoating dynamic, but I also want to talk about the actual scapegoat and what we can do and what we are bringing to the situation. And one of the things I want to talk about is accountability. I use that word a lot on this podcast because I think it's pretty important, but I also think it's very distorted because in the scapegoat dynamic, we very often confuse accountability with taking on others' blame. I want you to think about that because there are ways in which we can be too accountable and we are accepting blame in order to keep the peace. And if we become known as the person who will continually accept blame to keep the peace, people will continue to place that blame on us. And what does that look like? That looks like apologizing when you've done nothing wrong. That looks like almost taking too much of a step back and really looking with too much perspective and saying, well, I guess it's not a big deal, so I'll just apologize and make it nice and make it better. Well, when we do that, we are preventing the natural consequences in a situation. When we do that, we take the blame. We are then removing the discomfort from the group dynamic. And discomfort is a teacher. I actually spoke about that on an episode a few weeks back. Discomfort is an initiation. It encourages us to look at something with a new pair of glasses on. And if we remove discomfort, we're preventing the group from learning something. So sometimes it can be about the scapegoat also having the tolerance to allow others to be uncomfortable, to not being the one who races and rushes to apologize, to keep the peace, to put a band-aid on something. So what can we actually do in these situations? I think that's important to talk about. And it's also important to realize that our first time up at bat, we may not be graceful or effective. But that does not mean we should not continue to try. So if you have found yourself in that situation and you are the scapegoat and you have done that very thorough, honest, personal accounting and you know that you have not caused any harm, but perhaps you have introduced innovation, expansion, transformation, maybe a side helping of discomfort, but you've not engaged in any unhealthy or harmful behaviors, the next step is taking back your sense of self. Because when we find ourselves in the role of scapegoat, we're actually being separated from our sense of self because we are being burdened with the community dysfunction. And guess what? That doesn't belong to us and it will separate us from what is actually ours, of who we actually are. So I know that if this topic of scapegoating is really hitting home with you, Maybe you've been in that family situation where when you stepped out of it, you realized, oh, other people don't see me that way. 
Or maybe you were in a work situation, which was really unique and it did not reflect your previous experiences at work. And you're feeling like the people around you that you're trying to work with are bullying you and scapegoating you and trying to force you to see yourself as less than you are. In that situation, it's really important to take back your sense of self. Your sense of self does not belong to anyone else. You do not need to answer to any name that does not belong to you. And I know that it's really easy for me to sit here on a podcast and talk about that. And I'm not sitting next to you at your job when you're in a meeting and you feel like everyone's turning on you. I know what that feeling is, but I'm going to be that voice that you can come back to who's going to remind you that your sense of self is there for a reason. Your strengths are there for a reason. You have a zone of genius. It's there for a reason. And just because a dysfunctional situation will not accept or honor that does not mean that you are wrong or bad or unworthy. It might mean that you're not in the right place, but it doesn't mean that you are wrong at your core. And I know that scapegoating can really take a toll on our self-esteem and our self-perception. And I want to remind you of that. When we're taking back our sense of self, it's a really personal experience. We don't need input from anyone else. We don't need permission from anyone else. It is a deeply personal experience. So in any way that you need to, get back to who you are. I also think it's really important to acknowledge your emotions. I recently did an episode on anger because everyone thinks anger is the thing that you're supposed to run away from, but your emotions are fairly intelligent. They are trying to tell you something. It doesn't mean that they're always true. It doesn't mean that they're always going to lead you in the right direction, but they are taking up space for a reason. And when we can receive them from that position of neutrality and just allow them to rise up without labeling them, we can probably learn from it. Just like I said earlier, the discomfort that the dysfunctional group feels will not kill them. Discomfort will not kill us. Fear is totally normal. Anger is not necessarily bad. These are all things that we should allow ourselves to process when we feel that we've been made to be the scapegoat. I think boundaries are also really important in this situation. And I think identifying the boundaries is way more important than immediately trying to set them. And I think we have to have a lot of patience with ourselves. Boundary setting is a skill. And we should treat this skill like any other skill. We should read about it. We should learn about it. Do some research. Listen to podcasts. Practice in the mirror. That is so helpful, actually getting the words out and practicing and verbalizing them and saying, am I actually setting boundaries or am I lashing out at people? And what am I hoping to get with these boundaries? What is my ultimate goal? Another thing that's really helpful is creating space and opportunities to honor our instincts. So in a scapegoat situation, very often we're made to feel like we're crazy Everyone else can see something about us, but we can't see it. And again, maybe we're in the wrong situation. And that's what the group has to do to survive as a group. And it's okay. Maybe we don't belong there. 
So it's not about acting out against other people immediately. This is deeply personal work. So what can we do to deepen our relationship with our instincts? We need to cultivate those opportunities and not run from them, not second-guess ourselves. And there's a million ways we can do this on a daily basis, and we don't have to wait for those critical moments. So I would encourage you to do this when not everything's on the line. Honor your instincts when you're grocery shopping. Honor your instincts on your walk home. Honor your instincts about something that brings you joy. And begin to strengthen that muscle and strengthen that connection. I'd also encourage anyone who's experiencing a scapegoating situation to show up with specificity. And by that I mean honoring the boundaries of what belongs to you and what belongs to other people, honoring what you've actually done in a situation versus giving too much weight to other people's emotions and perceptions, so staying very close to the truth, and using some form of documentation. I'd really encourage you to write things down in this situation and say, this is what they said happened, this is what I felt happened, and this is what actually happened, and this was the outcome. So showing up with specificity. And I think part of that is also recognizing what doesn't belong to us. I keep coming back to that, and I think it's really important. Figure out where you want to focus your attention. Where do you want to place your energy? And being really discerning with that. I often say that people who are not treating you well will not start treating you better if you work harder. And personally, I do not waste my time trying to win people over. I do not need to win anyone over, and neither do you. You can be who you are, and people are allowed to not be in love with you. I know that's shocking. People are allowed to not be in love with you. They're allowed to not like you. And you still have not done any harm. And so that specificity is really important there. Being very clear that other people are allowed to have their feelings about you. And those feelings do not have to be facts. I have definitely had the experience of being the scapegoat. And I am always that unwilling alchemizer. I show up to every situation with information, energy, enthusiasm, clarity, good intentions, and it's not always received. And that's okay, because someone else's response to me is not my job. I often say that I'm responsible for what I say and how I say it, but I'm not responsible for how someone else interprets it or weaponizes it. That's not my business. I'm also not here to prevent anyone else from their own learning experiences. So, what I'd like to share are five things that I rely on in those situations. And this is what I keep in my emotional toolkit so that I can be grounded, connected to my sense of self and self-worth, and I cannot be in reactivity. These have always served me very well. When I am being scapegoated, the number one thing I do is receive information. And this is probably the most challenging because pretty often when you're the scapegoat, you are receiving information that is untrue, that is exaggerated, that seems really strange and has sort of a dark undercurrent to it. It is not easy. And I want to honor that. 
But if we can increase our tolerance to receive information, to step out of reactivity, to bring ourselves to a neutral place and neither agree or disagree, but just let it wash over us, we're very empowered. Our mind will tell us that receiving this information will destroy us. But if we can just allow it to move around us, we will actually find that we end up in a much more grounded place. We are just receiving the information. We're not rejecting it. We're not fighting it. We're increasing our tolerance and we're coming back to ourselves. The second thing I do is ask clarifying questions. Ask for specific examples of behaviors. We are clarifying the difference between how someone feels about us and what we've actually done. Have we created some discomfort or have we actually harmed someone? Have we actually done something? And I think nine times out of 10, you get to step two and you could probably stop this whole process because people generally crumble around here because they don't have specific examples. They don't actually have something beyond how they feel about you. And that's really empowering. That's very grounding. It's very clarifying. I also find that sometimes that's really helpful for the other person. And I know you're probably thinking, why do I want to help them? They're probably trying to get me fired. But maybe they've never had the experience where they could express themselves. I think about that a lot because I encounter that in work environments all the time. People who have never felt validated in any situation, they felt very disempowered, can become very reactive. And they can feel that this is the only way to gather power. And I'm sure I drive them crazy because I walk around all the time feeling grounded and empowered in just being who I am, not at the cost of anyone else. And I think that can be incredibly irritating to someone who has not had that experience. For that reason alone, I have a lot of empathy. But in this situation, I encourage you, get those clarifying questions and specific examples. Now, if it escalates beyond this, I would then ask, what is the criteria by which any improvements I could make would be measured? That's really important because this takes you out of that space of, oh, I just don't like her vibe. I just don't like her energy. I just don't like what she says or how she says it. This is saying, so if I was to improve, how would these improvements be measured and who would be measuring them? And how would I know that I had changed? What that does is also really clarify the ownership. I can only have so much ownership in this situation. If you're telling me everything I'm doing is wrong and my breathing is wrong and I change it, how will I know that this is not just based on how you feel or what mood you're in? What are the ways in which this will be measured? Now, the fourth thing I would do in this situation is in my dialogue with this other person, as I would methodically highlight what is objectively false based on subjective perceptions. And this can be a bit more difficult and nuanced, but I really encourage you to begin looking at things through this lens. What is objectively false? What is based on fact? What is based on feeling? What is based on fear? What has this person actually done? What changes have they actually introduced versus what feelings did they inspire within you? Just because someone is uncomfortable with something I've introduced 
doesn't mean that what I've introduced is wrong or bad. It means that it's new. It means that it's different. And the responsibility is on the other person to separate themselves from their subjective perceptions. And the last thing I would do, and I actually think this is pretty important, I probably should put this first, is identify what is stereotypical and not enforced with other people. Is this a problem because everyone does this and if everyone did it, it would be a problem? Or is it a problem because I, as a woman, did it? Is this something that is only being enforced against me because my personality, because of how you perceive me, because of my age, because of my gender, because of my background? Or is this something that is policy and enforced against others? And this happens in family situations as well. So this is not just about work environments. So these are just five things that I use to ground myself. And as I often know on this podcast, I will encourage you not to weaponize these things against anyone else. These are not weapons. They're not supposed to be drawn in moments of conflict. These are tools to develop our emotional resilience, to develop our tolerance, to develop our awareness of our sense of self, to really help us ground and anchor in our self-worth so that when inevitably someone comes along who doesn't like how we speak, how we look, how we do what we do, we are not going to be knocked sideways. We can make room for them to dislike us, to be uncomfortable, and it doesn't mean we have to change who we are at our core. So if you are experiencing scapegoating, seek out support outside of the system that you're in. This can be so powerful for us to have an outlet to express our feelings, to talk about what we're experiencing, but also to gain perspective. And if you're in this situation at work, you have all of my support and all of my empathy. I know that it is particularly difficult to be in a work environment where you are the scapegoat. And I know that it has significant consequences on your financial health and your job satisfaction and your emotional health and the stress, the way you sleep, the way you interact with your family after a day at work. But I encourage you to not allow this to have an impact on your confidence or to limit your capacity. Sometimes we are just not in the right place and that's okay too. It might be time to seek out other opportunities for growth or advancement if you feel that you can't do it in your current environment. And I know it's not as easy as snapping our fingers and just moving on to a new workplace, but maybe doing some things in the day-to-day that support your mental health. I think documenting your work achievements can be really helpful. That can help counteract this scapegoat narrative. Maybe seeking mentorship within the workplace or maybe outside of the workplace where someone can help guide you navigating these challenges. Because you are not the first person to ever end up in this situation. And I know it can feel that way when we're dealing with it on a daily basis, but this stuff actually happens. And there are other people who've been through it before too, and maybe they can share some tools with you. Being labeled a scapegoat, whether that is in the family or at work, is really challenging and it's emotionally taxing. And it really distorts your self-perception. But 
you are here for more than shouldering the blame for problems that are not of your making. You are here for more than feelings of isolation and being bullied and ostracized and waking up every day frustrated. And while the situation can often feel unsurmountable in the moment, it does not define you and it is not your final destination. So I do encourage you to explore other tools and other solutions and just know that you are not alone. And while I felt like I covered a lot, and this is a little bit of a longer episode, I know that I could probably do two, three, four more episodes just about scapegoating. I guess I just want to close with, I do not look at my workplaces as battlegrounds. I see them as opportunities for income, opportunities for expansion, opportunities for evolution. But I also know that not everyone else sees them that way. And I want to remind you of that as well. You can reclaim your professional identity. You can reclaim who you are. And you can gather all the parts of yourselves that people have discarded and said were terrible. And it can be the most amazing thing in a completely different environment. What is seen as a liability about you in one workplace can be seen as exactly what someone needs somewhere else. So I encourage you to continue to acquire new skills, expand your knowledge, boost your confidence, deepen your resilience, and do not let a scapegoating environment tear you down. And if you feel that you're the person who has been pointing the finger and scapegoating others, you can change right now. You can choose to do something different today. You can take radical responsibility, personal responsibility, personal inventories, self-accountability, and you can begin to make changes too. So I hope this episode helps you. I hope you feel seen and heard. By no means can I cover every nuance of every topic, but I did do my best to give a general overview of what this experience is like. And I encourage you to share this episode with someone in your life who needs to hear it. And it's not about me having the right answer. I always bring it back to these episodes are here for you to create conversations, to create change in your life. So if you share this episode with someone else, I hope you talk about it afterwards. I hope you can break down what would work in your own life, in your own situation. And the reason I talked about it today was because this was everything I needed to hear in difficult situations, whether it had to do with family, friends, partnerships, or work environments. So I really do hope you got something out of it. And until next time, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. You can also take a moment to like, follow, rate, and review this podcast, or send me an email with topics you'd like me to discuss or questions you have at loveletters and mixtapes at gmail.com.